So I have a Nepalese friend, Ramchandra Pakurel. Now, if in Nepal, you know, you rice is a staple diet, like in India as well, and you only eat rice with your right hand. So I think that thing, you know, Jacques was keep saying rice hand, your rice hand. It's kind of prophetic or something there. Um, but yeah, my my friend uh, Ramchandra many years ago was a Hindu priest, um, and I think it must have been now about thirty years ago. Um, that he was in the priesthood and he earned a lot of money. Um, he was very respected in, in Hitoro, which is the town where he lives. Uh, he had one problem though, and that is that his wife was demon possessed and she'd been involved in different, uh, worshiping different spirits and, and things and that, that's how it had affected her. And he didn't know what to do. And he took her to a number of other priests. He took her to a number of, of religious healers. Nobody could heal her. Um, so eventually one day in desperation, he took her to the church. Uh, I think it was the Samdan church, which was the first church established in her Torah. And Isaac, his son, who, who I'm very close to, said to me, they had to drag her into the church screaming and fighting. And there the, the elders, um, Pastor Panta and others, they laid hands on her and they prayed and they prayed and they did spiritual warfare until she'd been delivered from every single demon. Her name was changed, now her name is, is Sarah, and she's the most peaceful, happy, godly woman you could meet. But that day, Ramchandra left the Hindu priesthood. He denounced Hinduism, he turned to Jesus alone. And with that, he was excommunicated by his parents, uh, he was shunned by his family and by his friends. And when I met, first met the Pacquerel family now, almost 25 years ago, they were living, uh, the family, the five of them, in a very small room in poverty. One single room in poverty. But what struck me that day, and still strikes me every time I speak to Ramchandra, every time I see them, is the absolute joy and passion that fills his heart and overflows from his heart out through his mouth. Uh, in, in just worship and praise, seems to be sort of constantly praising Jesus. Jesus, who was the only one who had the power to heal his wife, and for whom he lost everything, and in whom he gained everything. We're looking at the book of Jude. Um, and Jude is a letter that's in the Bible. It's a, it's a letter written by Jesus' half-brother, whose name was Judas, but um, we call him Jude. That's his, his nickname because we didn't want to confuse him with the other Judas who did the bad thing, um, as, as John mentioned last week. And this, this letter is a very short book. We shouldn't even call it a book. We should just call it a page in the Bible. It's only 25 verses. So John and I arranged we would preach this book together. He'd do last week, I'd do this week. And, and then last week, John just kept preaching and preaching and preaching till he got to verse 23. And that is exactly, I worked it out, 92% of the book. And then he thought he'd better stop and, and leave me the last two verses. So thank you very much, John, uh, for covering the whole book and just leaving me with the dregs. That's nice. Um, no, that's just a joke. We did actually discuss this beforehand, um, that I would only cover two verses. I think it was John was concerned that I shouldn't preach too long. Um, 
But these two verses are some of the best known verses in the Bible. And they're rich in meaning, in tradition, and in praise. Now, if you've grown up in church, you may know them well. Maybe you can even recite them by heart. But I thought it would be great for us to stand up together and read them. They'll be on the screen. You don't have to recite them. Uh, But just let's read them together as the passage we're going to look at today. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Won't you take your seats? So before we we really dig into these two verses, I want to go back a little bit and just remind us of what the rest of the book is about, what John spoke to us about last week. Most of the letter of Jude is about, is focused on urging us to contend or to fight for the true faith and to, and it's about warning us about false teachers. False teachers are people who claim that they are teaching the truth about God from the Bible, but really they are, they're teaching lies. And false teaching is as prolific, is, is prolific today as it was in the days of Jude. And literally millions of people are led astray by television preachers or other preachers um, who preach things that are not from God. And so the letter of Jude is an urgent plea. It's a warning not only to the Christians of that time, but even more so to us today, to contend for the truth, to be on our guard against false teaching. Don't just believe whatever some preacher says uh, and think it's true because he calls himself a pastor or a prophet or because he has such a nice smile or a snazzy silk suit or because he has enough money to have his own TV show or his own jet. Test everything. This is what Jude is saying. Check out what people say before you just lap it all up. And Jude warns us about five signs. We looked at, at five of them last week that will alert you to false preachers. will alert you there is something wrong with this preacher. The first one is preachers that teach that it's okay to live however you want, that it's fine just to indulge in the pleasures of your flesh. Be careful of preachers who say that sin is not dangerous, or that we don't need to repent, or that emphasize uh, God's grace to the degree that it's a license to live however you want, that God doesn't really mind about that. God just wants us to be happy. And there are preachers who say these things. Jude says, no, God hates sin and God will punish those who deliberately give themselves over to it. Beware of hyper-grace preachers. Beware of those who say we do not need to confess our sins or that the Christian life should just be effortless. Now, John promised you I would give you names. So I know somebody did walk out in the first service. Bear with me. But Joseph Prince, in my opinion, is somebody who is dangerous because he preaches that we don't need to repent. We don't need to worry about sin. The Christian life needs to be effortless. That's not what the Bible says. Secondly, Jude warns us against preachers that distort authority. People who make it all about themselves and their own power trip. And if you look around, it's not hard to spot the the preachers on a power trip, is it? 
You'll have to look hard in this church. I don't think we are here. But out there, there are lots of preachers on a power trip. Narcissistic, arrogant, uh, people with inflated egos. Kind of preachers who believe they are always right and everybody else is wrong. And yet so often they're speaking about things they don't understand. And Jude says, don't be impressed by them. Don't be impressed by the, the strutting and the, the confidence, which is really arrogance. Be careful, they're dangerous. Again, when we, we think about who's out there and who is like this, probably many names that come to mind, but certainly one that jumped to mind for me is Mark Driscoll. Now, it's easier to say this since Mark fell from grace and had to leave his church, etc. But here was a man who was accused often of being a bully, of, of taking other people's stuff and, and speaking it as if it was his own and failing to give credit, even to the point of plagiarism, of, of holding a theological framework which he says, I am right, everybody else is, is wrong. Be careful of preachers who are arrogant like that. Don't be impressed by them. Thirdly, Jude says, beware of people who preach the gospel to make a lot of money for themselves. Invariably, people who are after money are not interested in what is true. They're interested in what will make them money. And thousands of people are led astray. And there are preachers, again, in my opinion, like Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, and thousands of others who preach what we call a prosperity doctrine. Which says that God wants you to be rich. That you only, that you're only blessed if you are rich. And I know many people who subscribe to this. How do you become rich? By giving money to them. You know, if any preacher says, if you give me money, God will bless you, and then you'll know you're blessed because you'll get rich. Just stay away. It's a very, very dangerous gospel. Somebody called it recently, uh, well, a couple of years said to me, it's the cancer of Africa. It is the cancer of Africa, of the African church, the prosperity doctrine. Fourth, Jude says, beware of preachers who just make stuff up. Preachers who, who just speak about things that have been revealed to them, but are not in the Bible. And are not in the apostolic faith which has been handed down to us from the apostles. And it's not only Peniel, Nguni, or Lesoch, or Daniel, or people like that who tell you, you know, I can spray you with doom, or just eat the snake, or this grass. Or drink the petrol, that was the other thing. There are plenty of preachers who make things up. It's nowhere in the Bible, in the Christian faith. It just came down from heaven to them. Be careful of that. We, we are allowed to, we must hold our preachers accountable to preach scripture to us. To preach the Bible as the revealed word of God to us. And fifth, Jude says, beware of preachers who are divisive. Now, if you stand up and you preach what's in the Bible, you will be divisive. People will, people will not like you, some people. But it's not that kind of divisiveness that he's talking about. He's talking about people who have a divisive nature and character, who he describes it as finding fault, grumbling, flattering, boasting, people causing dissension in the church, causing factions in the church. Don't ever be drawn into that kind of thing. Beware of the people who have that kind of character. Don't go along with them. And Jude says that God will judge people, especially teachers and preachers, who preach like this and behave like this, 
Our job as, as believers is to be careful not to be led astray by people like that. It's to focus on keeping ourselves in God's love, praying in the Spirit, focused on the mercy, living within the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And then he says, how are we to treat other people who are being pulled in, you know, away off track by these kind of false preachers? He says, show mercy to them if they're weak, strengthen them, snatch them back, help them not to be led astray either. So after all of that, perhaps, you know, like you're, that's a bit shell-shocked, confused, distressed, you know. Hey Jude, I really thought that it was okay just to turn on TBN and that everything that comes at me from that channel would be just good and wholesome and true. I thought that I could just go into Kum Books or any other Christian bookstore and take anything off the shelf and just read it and it would be fine. Now you're telling me I have to be careful. Wow. You know, Joseph Prince, really? Jr. such a handsome young man. I think you're just jealous of his hair. Joel Osteen, you know, such a nice smile. How much he paid for those teeth. You know, he's such an encouraging guy. It's too much honesty. You know, how, how will we know who to trust? How will we know how to... To judge what's true, what's not true. How do we know we won't be innocently led astray? Nobody told us that Christian life would be this confusing. Yo. But here's the beautiful thing. And this is the passage, the two verses we're going to look at today. They remind us at the end of the book, at the close of the book, that it's not about you. It's not about trusting in your own intellect about trying to figure everything out. It's not whether or not you've chosen a church where the pastors are theologically perfect, because we're not. That's why Jude ends with these magnificent words, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We're going to dig into those. It starts with the word now. It's actually a phrase in Greek, in the original language of Greek. Tode. Tode. It's a strong phrase. It means and now. Or but now. And it signals the beginning of something new. It's all that stuff, but now. It's something in contrast to the previous statement. If we go back to the previous statement, we read it. It's all about what we need to do, what we need to be careful of, and how we need to look after people. All the things we need to do. But what's coming next is not anything we need to do. It's what God has done and is doing and who God is. We call this kind of passage a doxology. As I said, you may know, the New Testament was first written in Greek. So when we have English translations, they're translations of the ancient Koine Greek. And the word doxology comes from two Greek words. Doxa, which means glory, and logos, which means word or knowledge. And and so the word doxology is really an expression of praise For God's glory. But now. Let's shift focus from all of that. But now. 
and to him. Who is him? Him is the person Jude is really writing about. From the beginning, he starts in verse 1. Jesus Christ is the one that Jude says, I am his slave, I am his servant. Jesus Christ, Jude says, is the one who guards and keeps us from harm. Jesus Christ is our only king and Lord. Jesus Christ is the one who lavishes his mercy on us. And Jude says, now unto him who is able. To the dunamane. Dunamano, sorry. Dunamano comes from the, the, the Greek root word dunamai. And it means, oh sorry, it's where we get the English word uh, dynamo or dynamism or dynamite. And it speaks, the word dunamano speaks not just of ability, but of extraordinary ability, of extraordinary power, of powerful ability. And Jude says, now unto Jesus, who has dynamite ability, powerful Ability And how does Jesus use this powerful dynamite ability? Jude says he uses it to keep us, to guard us, to protect us. The Greek word is phileso. Here's an interesting thing. You won't, won't have seen it probably unless you've really dug into the book. That this word phileso is not, it's not the first time in the book that Jude talks about the power of Jesus keeping us or guarding us. In fact, if we go right to the opening words of this letter, Jude says, a Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept, for less so, kept or protected in Jesus Christ. So this doxology that, that Jude ends his letter with is actually connected to his opening greetings. And if, we're going to compare the two a little bit now. But it's a bit like a sandwich, you got the bread at the beginning, you got the bread at the, at the end, and inside is all the filling. And it's the stuff about the false teachers, and what you need to be careful of, and how to identify a false teacher, and it's, it's really interesting, like sandwich fillings can be, and it's really complicated, and there's lots of goodness in it. But what holds the sandwich together is the bread on each side. The opening greeting, the closing doxology, they're made of the same stuff, they have the same message, and that message is, that Jesus is in control. That Jesus is in control, not us. That Jesus is the one who is looking after us. In the midst of false teaching and confusing circumstances, we can trust in him. We can rely on him. If we will set our mind and our eyes on him, he will keep us safe. But if we don't keep holding on to the outside slices of the bread, if we don't keep the perspective that Jesus is in control and he is holding us safe, he is keeping us, then the filling is going to fall out and make a big mess. And we're going to start judging everybody. And I, and I want to say this. I know people have asked me, so I went online and I found that, that uh, you know, they said Angus Buchan is a false teacher. And they said, this one is a false teacher. And that one, I said, everybody's a false teacher online, Okay. It's not just to, to hunt for demons everywhere. There are great people who are called false teachers. Use discernment. We need to use our discernment and look for the things in teachers which would give us signs that they are false teachers or dangerous people. 
Let's look for a, a few minutes at Jude's opening greeting. And in, in a way, the way he opens this book is like any letter you would, you would write if you were a Middle Eastern person at that time. You would start by saying who it's from and who it's to. So from Jude and to the churches. So in many ways, it's a, it's a typical greeting. But in, in many other ways, it's not a typical greeting. Because he extends that greeting. He adds a whole lot of stuff into it that wouldn't usually be there. So he doesn't just say from Jude to the churches of Jesus Christ. He adds his, first of all, his credentials. And now that may not be so unusual to add your credentials, except that these are not the credentials you would expect. You would expect, the readers might expect, if they knew who he was, they might have expected him to say, from Jude, the brother of Jesus Christ. You know, that's how you stamp your authority, isn't it? You just let them know who you are. But he doesn't do that. He says, from Jude, a servant, and the Greek word here is doulos, which literally actually means a slave. So, from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. And that's important because right at the start of his letter, he sets the scene for what he's going to say. And that is, it's not about me. It's not about Mr. Jude. It's not about the fact that I am Jesus' half-brother. I don't have my right, I don't have a right to blow my trumpet about that. I don't have a right to blow a trumpet about anything. Because I am just a slave. And you are just a slave to Jesus. It's about him, and it's not about us. And any preacher who doesn't get that should not be preaching. So he says, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ, so he opens the letter, and a brother of James, to those who have been called or chosen, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for lasso, protected, kept for lasso, guarded, protected, in Jesus Christ. If you have an NIV translation and you're following, you might say, oh, Jair, it says, kept for Jesus Christ. And you said kept in. Well, that's it's just the way we translate, except that the literal translation says kept in. That's how you have it in the King James and others. Kept in Jesus Christ. And it ties together. We are kept in Jesus Christ, who is able to keep you from falling. And then he ends his greeting by saying, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, who are Kept in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Be lavished on you. Mercy, peace, and love be lavished on you from Jesus. So we're going to hear a little bit more in the doxology at the end how Jesus lavishes love and peace and mercy on us. So let's go back to to verse 24. I'm jumping back from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. Verse 24 says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless, before the presence of his glory. He's able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, his doxa. That's an interesting phrase. I won't read it all in Greek. I've probably given you enough Greek for now. But the, the phrase literally means in the face of his presence and glory. Who's able to keep you from falling and present you faultless in the face of his presence and glory. So whose glory is this? It's God the Father. Jesus is the one who can, with his mighty power, present us face to face, in the face of the glory of God. Now every Jewish person would have known, and you remember Jude was writing 
This letter was focused on Jewish believers, people of Jewish background. Every Jewish person would have known that nothing that had any spot or wrinkle or blemish or any defect at all could be offered to God as a gift. No animal, no crops, certainly no sinful person could enter into the presence of God and live, let alone stand in the presence of God and look him in the face. But Jude says that Jesus is the one who is able by his mighty dynamite power to bring us to stand, not to fall, but to stand face to face with the glory of God. Not only into the presence of God, as if we would just grovel and cower and keep our face down, but to stand unashamed, strong, unblemished, perfect. And he says to present you faultless before the presence of of his glory with exceeding joy with exceeding joy with exaltation with celebration I suppose much like a, a bridegroom presents his bride or maybe the bride presents her her groom with exceeding joy or I haven't been a mother so I can just speak as a father the way a father presents his child newborn with exceeding joy proud of them Joyful, flowing. And Jesus says that all of heaven celebrates when just one sinner embraces his love and allows him to wash away their sin. When one sinner grasps onto his hand and we say, Jesus, I will take your hand, and he lifts us up to stand in the presence of God Almighty, face to face. You know that uh, you may remember the story of Moses. And Moses spent an enormous amount of time with God. He was very close to God. And he says to God one day, I want to see you. And God says, this is Exodus 33 verse 20, You cannot see my face. No one can see me and live. Why, why can't we see God and live? Because our sin and our imperfection has made us such that his blazing glory would just destroy us. And yet Jesus can purify us and bring us before the face of his presence to stand. Isn't that amazing? Jude says, uses this expression before the only God or to the only God. The only wise God is actually his expression. The only wise God. And in a sea of, in this world of gods of earth and sky who are venerated each day by hopeful human beings, there is only one who is wise, truly. Above that hundred million silent staring Images of stone and wood and gold and silver idols that are worshipped day after day, heedless of the adoration poured out on them by a million priests and a billion devotees. There is just one who is conscious and understanding. And that one 
God, the true God, stands silently waiting in the shadows for desperate humanity to turn and to see him. But we scurry around in our senseless lives, worshipping our pleasures and our heroes and our egos and our money and hanging on to the words of every preacher that tells us God is in those things. There is only one wise God. And here we have the words of the Shema echoed. The Shema, the greatest commandment in the Bible, which is repeated daily by every faithful Jew. Shema Israel Adonai Eliheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Jude says that Jesus, by his extraordinary power, is able to bring us into the face of that God, that one God, the only one wise God, the only one who is able to save us. The El Yeshua Tenu, the El Mashayim, means the God who saves us. And when we stand before him and we see him as he is, there is no other fitting response but to worship as my friend Ramchandra does every day and so many others, to stand before the presence of God and to say to you, O God, our Savior, be glory, be renown, be fame, be prestige, be honor, be acclamation, be praise. To you, be majesty, magnificence, grandeur, Splendor or kingliness to you be dominion and power, supremacy, superiority, sovereignty, ascendancy, authority, lordship, jurisdiction, government. To you, O God, be all these things, both now and forever. Was Jude wrote it in the original. Kai nun, kai eis, pantastos, iotas, amnu, and now and ever. In everything, for always. Amen. Won't you bow your heads with me as we pray? I want to just challenge you as we come in in an attitude of prayer. Some of us have reached up to Jesus and we've said, take my hand. And he's reaching down to us and he takes our hand and, and he pulls us up and he makes us stand before God the Father. And we know what that means. And, and we know what it means to have him Wash away our sins and enable us to stand faultless before the presence of God. But maybe, maybe some of you are sitting here and you're not like that. You say, I don't know that. I've never reached out. I've, I've never grasped onto that power. I've never said, Jesus, save me. Jesus, purify me. Jesus, help me to stand faultless before the presence of Almighty God, and I've been running after this and running after that. And so if that's, if that's you, and today you say, yes, I want to reach out and take Jesus' hand, which is extended to me, and say, Jesus, lift me up, wash away my sin, present me to your Father, the only wise God. I want to just give you a moment now. If God speaks to you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, yes, you need to make a commitment now to Jesus. You need to take a step then maybe you can just put up your hand and say, that's me, JR, that's me, and I'll pray for you. We'll pray together. 
Is anybody here? There's one, I see. Another one. A few people. Just a few people. Another one at the back, yeah. Let's just pray together, and I'm going to encourage you just to pray. I'm going to pray the words, and you can pray them out after me. If you don't want to say them out loud, you can just say them under your breath. And anybody else who wants to recommit themselves to say these same words, the same prayer after me. And then I'm going to invite you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or even if you just want to come and pray, just to come forward after the service, and I'll be at the front, or you can come into the chapel if it's, if it's better to be more private, and just pray with me or pray with Jacques, or any of the other elders that are here. Won't you pray these words after me? Lord Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have no way of saving myself. And I know that in the presence of God, I would just die. I would not survive. Thank you that through your death on the cross, you have made a way for me to be rescued. And Jesus, I now accept that sacrifice for my sin that you made. And I ask you to come and live within me by your Holy Spirit. And help me to turn away every day from from sin and towards you. Jesus, today I make you the Lord of my life. And if you've prayed that and if you've meant it, if your heart has reached out to Jesus and if he's, he's, he's promised and he's faithful to rescue us, to save us, And to change our lives if we will continue to walk with him. And so this is our prayer, Lord Jesus, for all of us. That you will help us day by day to continue to make you Lord in every single morning and every single evening. That you will be Lord of our lives. And that we will not walk around downcast. We will not walk as people still trapped and entangled in sin. But we will look to you. That as we wade through the the difficulties of false teachings and the things we hear all around us, not just from the church, but from outside of the church, that you will keep our eyes and our focus on you, Jesus Christ, who is able to keep us. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.